0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. There's two reasons we should be thankful for this chapter. This chapter uh, paves the way for Gentile salvation, uh, that we, who aren't Jewish, could come to know Christ, could come to be saved by Christ's sacrifice. And secondly, if you've got a soft spot for bacon, uh, th- this makes it clear that you're, you're good, you're safe with that. And the, it's interesting in the history of church, uh, there have been groups uh, that have tried to reinforce uh, the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament uh, and completely fly by the fact that Jesus has declared all foods clean. So if you like barbecue like I do, you're safe. You don't have to worry about whether you are committing some unpardonable sin for liking bacon or ribs or pulled pork or you name it. We're going to be covering the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, I will read verses 1 through 8. Chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord come and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you uh, that we who are Gentiles, we who are at one time without hope and without God in the world, have been brought near by the shed blood of Christ. That the wall of division that divided Jew and Gentile has been torn down in the flesh of your Son so that we could have open access, so that we could have saving faith in Christ. And be counted among your people. And we pray this morning as we study your word that if there are any who are outside of Christ, outside of salvation, uh, that you would open their eyes and that they would come and trust him. We pray uh, that this chapter would give us greater boldness in our evangelism, knowing uh, that you are providentially working in the lives of hearts of those that we come across uh, uh, to give open doors so that the gospel would be shared. And so we pray that we would be faithful in that in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are uh, uh, three uh, movements in this chapter as the narrative moves along. The first is the preparation. There is God's preparation of Cornelius, and then secondly, God's preparation of Peter, because Peter, as we're going to see, is a somewhat reluctant evangelist to the Gentiles. And it moves from the preparation to proclamation, as Peter faithfully shares the gospel with Cornelius and his household. And then finally, the presentation of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. So as we read, uh, God had been preparing Cornelius. Cornelius, uh, in the providence of God, found himself in the Italian cohort uh, in Caesarea uh, uh, around the Jews and he had become what was classified as a God-fearer. It's important to note, uh, we are told, about him. He is a devout man who feared God God with all his household. He gave alms. He was a generous man. He was a, a praying man. But if we understand this rightly, we understand he wasn't a saved man. If he were saved by his devoutness, if he were saved by his generosity, if he were saved by his prayer life, Peter would have no reason to make the trip from Joppa to Caesarea. In our day and age, uh, I've come across uh, some who think that their devoutness never misses Sunday, their generosity, uh, faithful givers... Never miss a day of prayer. They think those are the grounds of their salvation. And yet, we have Cornelius here. He checks all the boxes on his offering envelope. You know, I I didn't grow up in church, but I've heard stories of those who do uh, where they try to see how many of the boxes they can check after they get to church. Find a Bible in the church, tell a friend about Jesus, drop a cord in the offering plate. All the boxes checked. Well, you can check all the boxes and still split hell wide open because as we see here, Cornelius needs Jesus. Cornelius, despite all his goodness, needs a Savior. He needs to hear the gospel. I've heard and heard of funerals where it seems like uh, the person who died uh, uh, that Jesus needed them more than they did need Jesus well the fact of the matter is we all stand in need of Jesus Cornelius' life had prepared him for that he believed God and we're told in Hebrews that one must believe God and believe he rewards those who seeks him and Cornelius is going to be rewarded in hearing the gospel So this should help us as we think about our current context. In our day and age, there are individuals that ask the question, what about the good man on an island who never hears of Christ, that does the best they can with what revelation there is of God in the created order? What happens when they die? Well, the the, the testimony of Scripture and the Apostle Paul bears witness to this, uh, that we are faith. Comes by hearing and hearing the word. Everyone who is born under the sun must hear the gospel of Christ to be saved. It's like Cornelius. God is preparing Cornelius. He's not given the gospel in a dream, he's given a, a, a vision of an angel who instructs him how he is going to hear the gospel. I've heard stories of missionaries in the Arab world. God still does this thing that there are people who have spent their whole lives in the spiritual darkness of Islam until suddenly they have a dream telling them where they can find a missionary, where they can hear the gospel of Jesus. They do, and God saves them mightily and powerful, bringing them from the darkness of Islam into the light of the gospel. So God is still at work in the world today, but No matter how devout someone is and whatever they believe, they still need Christ. But it wasn't only Cornelius who needed preparation. Peter needed preparation. Peter was, to his detriment, a a good Jewish boy. He was a devout Jew. And so Peter's preparation comes in a vision as well. We're told in verse 9, The next day, so after Cornelius has his vision instructing him to send men to bring Peter to him, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by his four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals. And reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was a good boy, he knew his dietary laws. We don't know what all animals were under the sheep, but if you read your dietary laws, you understand that reptiles were clearly on the no-fry list. You, You could not eat a reptile. Anything that creeped and crawled, there were very peculiar laws that they had to maintain. And so Peter, knowing his dietary law, says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Here, Peter is putting his foot in the mouth again. You know, Jesus, uh, before his betrayal, told them that he would deny him three times. And he said, never, Lord. And here and now, the Lord is instructing him to do something. He says, never. That by no means, is uh, never, not at all. He is being strongly emphatic, saying that there is no way he would do this. And again, the Lord tells him, a voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter must have been hard-headed because uh, it takes three times. You know, he denies Jesus three times, uh, despite his assistance that he'd never deny him. Jesus has to ask him in his restoration, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He breaks down weeping. And so here, three times, as he's preparing him for this ministry, he repeatedly tells him, What God has made clean, do not call common. And Peter has no idea what this means. Still scratching his head on this. He understands the Lord is trying to tell him something, and that he has to follow through in obedience. Important lesson for us, if the Lord has told us to do something in his word and we know his will, uh, we should be quick to obey because either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all so Peter's scratching his head as he's wondering what the meaning of this vision is. We understand uh, in light of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus uh, clearly taught that it wasn't what went into somebody's stomach that defiled them; It was what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. The defilement comes from sin. And so here Peter is thinking that he's done a good job because he's ate all the right things. He's forgetting that he was just as much of a sinner as anyone else. It was Peter who, when he caught that miraculous fish, uh, begged the Lord to depart because he was a sinful man. And so we're told in verse 17, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Lord had sent that vision at just that time because in the providence of God, those men would arrive right then so Peter would know exactly what he needed to do. He was told in the vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And now he is told by the Spirit in verse 19, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said... I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. Peter's crossed a major boundary there. If you, you... We have a hard time understanding that because we do not understand the division that existed between Jew and Gentile. To have a Gentile into your house made you unclean. It was a major taboo. And here Peter is. He's invited these guests into his home. You invite a guest into your home, you're going to do something with them. You're going to eat with them. It was strictly forbidden by Jewish practice to have table fellowship with the Gentiles because the Gentiles did not follow the dietary laws of the people of God. They did not follow the cleanliness code of the Jewish people. And so inherently, no matter what they did, the Gentiles were considered unclean. A Jewish person would want to have as much to do with a Gentile as they would a leper, meaning pretty much nothing. And now, Peter, the light is dawning. He has invited these three men who are sent by God. He is quick in his obedience. He invites them in because it's too late to begin the journey. And so the next day, he obeys the commandment of the Lord. The Lord had told him that he was to go with them. So the next day, we're told, he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Cornelius is really eager. He doesn't know what Peter's going to do. He doesn't know what Peter's going to say. But Cornelius knows that all his friends and family members need to hear whatever Peter is going to say. Peter's walking into an evangelist dream, like shooting fish in the bucket. Everyone's there, and so Peter arrives. We're told in verse 26, Peter lifted him up. Peter, after Cornelius fell to worship him, Peter lifted him up, verse 26, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with them. He went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Telling them that he is crossing a major boundary. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So that I was sent for. I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. So Peter's been prepared. Had those three men arrived before Peter had the vision, Peter would have said no. Peter would have said it is not lawful or permissible for me to have anything to do with you unclean Gentiles. But now the Lord has made clear to him that Peter is no longer to regard people as being clean or unclean. He's not to categorize people like that. Or as the Apostle Paul would tell the church of Corinth, he's not regarding people according to the flesh. He understands his purpose of being an ambassador for Christ, calling all people, Jew and Gentile, to repentance and faith in Christ. And so Peter's there and he wonders why he's there. And so Cornelius tells him of his own preparation Peter realizes, what was the mission? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Peter had one message and one mission, and now Peter is reminded why he's there. The Lord had prepared him, the Lord had prepared Cornelius, had prepared Cornelius' household to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And so Peter, knowing that he has one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, at verse 34, he opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter understood that there wasn't a, 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 a class A and class B in the church, that God's desire was to save Jew and Gentile. And so he says, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed by God he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name Peter shared the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the fact that there is forgiveness through the name of Jesus. It's something they believe. Cornelius has been prepared for this. Cornelius has been a devout person. He knows the prophets. Peter knows that he knows the prophets. And now the penny drops. He comes to understand that everything that he had been looking for is found in Christ. He's not trusting in his devoutness. He's not trusting in his charity. He's not trusting in his prayer life. He's looking to Christ He's heard that Christ is the answer because his devoutness didn't deal with his sin. His charity didn't deal with his sin. His prayer didn't deal with his sin. He has been introduced to the one who does what we cannot do for ourselves The one who brings forgiveness of sins. He has been reminded that there is a constant theme in the New Testament of the coming of Jesus. That judgment has been given to the Son. He has been told that there is a judgment to come. That Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. That he's coming again to do that very thing. And that the only hope in that day of judgment is to believe in Christ. So here's the gospel. And unlike other times... You have to remember that there is a Jewish resistance to the Gentiles, and it continues on after this. You can read Paul in Galatia, where Peter and some remove themselves and distance themselves from the Gentile believers. That There is a hesitance to fully embrace the Gentiles. And so unlike the day of Pentecost, and unlike when the Samaritans heard the gospel from Philip, they believe... And rather than receiving the gospel from the laying on of hands, God sends the Holy Spirit upon those who believe so that the Jews will understand through the presentation of the Spirit that Christ has included them in His people. And so we we move to that third movement in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. means that all who heard the word believed it they had probably been hearing from Cornelius all this time as he has been devoting himself to understanding the God of the Jews devoting his life to good works being highly thought of by the Jewish nation and yet an outsider and now as Paul would uh, describe the Gentiles uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter two, now those who had been without hope and without God in the world had been brought near, because they understand what had happened at Calvary. The wall of division between Jew and Gentile had been torn down through Jesus dying, not just for Jewish sinners but for all sinners. And everyone's amazed because they have this expectation. Uh, they thought, you know, Jesus is ours. What does he have to do with the Gentiles? And so, verse 45, so they see the Holy Spirit coming upon the people. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, they're speechless. Their jaws on the floor because they don't understand that God had always had a plan of including the Gentiles. You know, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you understand that that was God's plan. When the Lord calls His servant in Isaiah, He says it is far too little of a thing for the servant to be a messenger merely to the Jewish people but uh, he he will bring the message to the coastlands uh, to the ends of the earth so they're amazed because the whole gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles so the Gentiles were unclean and impure and here they are hearing the word receiving it and, and God pours out his spirit demonstrating that He's claimed them as his. He's included them in the people of God. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, remember, every time the gospels come a new place so far, Pentecost, the crowds heard the disciples speaking in tongues. They repent. They're baptized, then they receive the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans, they believe, they're baptized, then the apostles lay hands on and receive the Holy Spirit. Here, they've heard the gospel, they believe, they receive the Holy Spirit. And so Peter asks, he declares, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? See, the reason why it's happening this way is because the Lord knows the Jewish resistance to including the Gentiles. Had they not received the Holy Spirit from God in such a demonstrable way, presenting the fact that the Lord, this was the will of God, the circumcision party could have said, eh, I, I'm not sure. You know, maybe they can believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure we can baptize them in the church. I, I, I'm not sure they can be part of us i not sure uh, that, 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 you know, may, maybe we could have something else, a side thing for the Gentiles, but I'm not sure they belong. God broke through all their objections in one moment. And Peter's saying, you know, well, we can't say we're not sure about this. We know what God is doing. We know that God has included them. Who's going to disagree with God? Who's going to say, well, God, you didn't ask our permission to save these people. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for days. Interesting. We'll we'll look at this more later. But even uh, the remarkable work of God wasn't enough to please some, they have to have a committee. To have a committee and they have to discuss amongst themselves whether God can save the Gentiles. So, we, what do we do with this? What we understand in light of this, see our, our own failings. You know, I, Right now, we're in a period of time in Western history where it seems like the church is declining, especially in urban areas. Uh, Here from North American Mission Board, uh, oftentimes what happens, think of churches that began their life 100, 200 years ago in urban areas. Those urban areas are not the same as they used to be. See, it's easy to think of those outside as enemies, or, or just strictly outsiders rather than viewing them as prospects to hear the gospel. See, the the Jewish people and the Jewish followers of Christ, they would have been more than happy to, to keep the church strictly a Jewish thing when the fact of the matter is Jesus had commissioned them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, making it abundantly clear that Christ had a vision beyond the Jewish people. Remember the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. See, Far too often, we're like Jesus' early followers. We kind of have a mission with blinders. I hear this from pastors too. You know, some, we don't have a, a, a God-sized vision for the Great Commission. Sometimes I hear pastors and they'll talk about and say that their community is the mission field. This is our place of ministry. We have a God-given responsibility to minister here, but we also have a God-given responsibility to make sure the gospel gets to those who have not heard it. Carl F.H. Henry, uh, founder of Christiana Today and uh, uh, a leader in the evangelical resurgence of the 50s and 60s, once said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. You know, the reason why we exist as Southern Baptists... We're a Southern Baptist church. The reason why we are Southern Baptist and uh, work in cooperation with other Baptist churches, giving to the cooperative program that funds the North American Mission Board, that funds the International Mission Board, that funds our seminaries, is because we understand that we are facing a task unfinished. You know, we think of the spiritual darkness here where we live in an area with churches every few miles and complete and unrestricted access to the gospel. When we think about the darkness here, we have to realize that there are parts of the world with spiritual darkness that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And... Chapter 10, as I said last week, uh, chapter 9 was the hinge. There's a turning. And here we see the attention of the church turning and bringing the gospel to where the word of God has not come before. Bringing the gospel to the Gentile world. And so we have a responsibility under Christ. We have a sacred trust from Christ to share this gospel Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, we are either missionaries or we are imposters. If we are walking in obedience to Christ and walking like Christ walked and walking like the apostles walked, our supreme desire is going to be to see people come to Christ. A couple weeks ago, I told how I was at the AMS retreat and one of the association mission strategists was sharing with us that just as he got there, he got a text from a pastor who was asked to resign because of how many people were joining the church and things were changing. Heard a pastor in our own association who was telling me that his previous ministry, he was led to resign because of pushback over changing the church because people were getting saved. Here, Peter has to embrace a major change. His entire way of life, that he has known from a child, all that he has known is being turned on its head. All his life, Peter has understood Gentiles bad, stay away. And now, under the lordship of Christ, Peter is being told that he has to be open to embracing them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And although he was initially resistant in the vision, when, the, when it came down to brass tacks, Peter obeyed. See that? He, he told them. Verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful, not just frowned upon, but unlawful, it was against their law for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Peter's saying, I, I, I am broken the law. There are leaders who put it in place. And he broke it because he understood, as he says in verse 34, he understood that God shows no partiality. You know, uh, like Billy Graham often said, that there is level ground at the cross. So, it, as we come to a conclusion, I tell you if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you have no hope right now. There's only hope found in Christ. In my years of ministry, I've come across those who think that their devoutness, their giving, their prayer life somehow, that's going to be what they show when they're trying to get to heaven. I tell you the clear teaching of Jesus is the only way you're going into going to heaven is through Jesus. Nobody's going to pull up their attendance record at the gates of heaven and say, "Look at my attendance record. I got perfect attendance. You have to let me in." Nobody's going to say, "I never missed a Sunday giving. I gave generously. I gave exactly ten percent over my whole life." Nobody's going to say, "I prayed every day. I prayed for everyone who asked me to pray." It's going to be Jesus, only Jesus. And I tell you right now, if you're trusting in anything but Jesus, you're in a dangerous position. Because it's only in Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins. It's only in Jesus that we have eternal life. It, it, anything else is a false hope It's going to disappoint you in the end. If you're, if you're trusting and putting your confidence in anything else... I tell you to stop and look to Jesus so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. As believers, let's have our eyes open. We are sent into the harvest. There is a harvest. God is preparing people. We believe in the biblical doctrine of the providence of God, that God is at work in the world today. And so everyone that we come across who is outside of Christ, God is working in their lives to give us open doors to share the gospel with them. We just need to be willing, like Peter, when we're aware how the Lord is preparing them, we need to open our mouth. I think one of the problems in our day and age is far too often, we as believers in Christ, we have our mouths closed closed. When we need them open. Or we open uh, our mouths on anything and everything but making much of Christ. Peter gets straight to the point. You know, here Peter is, he's talking to a Roman centurion who's over the Italian cohort. You know, Peter could have talked of any number of things. He could have talked about how cruel and oppressive Rome had been. He could have talked about grievances regarding how the Italian... Cohort had mistreated Jews, and he he's, has no interest in that. He cuts straight to the point, and the point is Jesus. You know, we, we live in a day and time where, where everyone seems to want to talk about anything and everything but Jesus. And that, that's the point. The point of a, a, any conversation that we're going to have with anyone that's going to have eternal value is going to have to be jesus and what he has done for sinners and dying and rising again and when that happens god's going to work you know it's easy to fall into the temptation to think that somehow the gospel stopped working when the gospel is proclaimed people get saved there are reports from missionaries all the time of of how the gospel works God presents his power uh, even today see the problem isn't the gospel has stopped working the the problem is far too often we mute ourselves and yet we see here as the mission of the church is pivoted to uh, bring the gospel into a world that needs it that remains the focus That is our purpose. The reason why we are drawing breath right now here on this world right now is because the Lord has laid out good works. He has laid out gospel opportunities for us. You ever think about that? It's the one thing that you can do here and now that you won't be able to do in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. In heaven, you you don't get to evangelize. You don't get to tell anyone uh, that there's a Savior who could save anyone because everyone in heaven knows. But here, you can do the one thing that you won't be able to do for all of eternity and making much of Christ. And as Jesus said in John chapter 3, if uh, he be high and lifted up, he'll draw all men to him. And so here we see Peter lifting up Jesus the lord drawing people to himself. So when we're faithful to that, the lord does work. So lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Pray that you would burden our hearts for the mission field, not just the ministry field that lays in front of us, but the mission field around the world as we understand that there are countless billions of people who have lived their lives without any gospel witness. And we thank you that we have ways of partnering with other churches and uh, making the gospel known and making much of Christ. And I pray that as we commit ourselves to the work that you have given us, uh, that the light would drive back the darkness in this world and that men and women would continue to be saved. And we pray that if there are any in here this morning uh, who are trusting in anything but Christ, you would open their eyes to their need for Christ and that they would trust in Him and Him alone alone for eternal life and for the hope of heaven. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.